So today is Pentecost Sunday, which that word doesn't mean much to a lot of people in the world that don't know any of the terminology of, of uh, what the Bible talks about. Uh, another, another word that would be said about uh, this day is it was the birthday of the church uh, because uh, we're talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is Pentecost. And we're going to read scripture this morning from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. And stand with me for that reading if you can. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. And then it lists these 13 different uh, uh, segments, uh, languages that heard in their own language what was being said. So let's uh, ask the Lord to help us. Dear Lord, we bow before you this morning. We thank you, dear Lord, for this special day, this uh, special event that took place. Lord, certainly uh, I pray that you, you would come in the person of the Holy Spirit and help me this morning as I speak about this. Help me to be clear with it. Help me, dear Lord, to be accurate. I pray, dear Lord, that uh, there will be a heart hunger for all that God has for us to follow in the ways of Jesus Christ. I pray your continued blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we have, we have come through the time of Easter, and this marks a, a different point in the history of the church. Uh, so we've come to what we would call the end of the Jesus event. Uh, when Jesus came to this earth as a baby, that it was God with us, uh, that uh, we saw in the Gospels, and uh, you know, some people don't understand that the Gospels are about Jesus because Gospel means good news. And so the good news is that Jesus came and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 
give us the record of what he did when he was here in a physical body on this earth, realizing that he, as the God-man, the Son of God, uh, carried in a virgin's womb, but begotten by the Holy Ghost, and lived a sinless life here on this earth among human beings and was perfectly obedient to all the plan that was laid down for him. And of course, uh, went to the cross, uh, gave his, his life as a sacrifice for sin. And so uh, the terrible thing that Adam started when he disobeyed God uh, came to, as it were, a climax when Jesus hung on the cross and gave his life for the sins of the world. Uh, but when he died on the cross and he died a death of suffering because uh, he was suffering for our sins and we mentioned that he would not take an opiate, that he, he felt the full blunt of what it was to be crucified to give his life. Uh, not like people today that uh, avoid some of, the, some of the pain and suffering of death, and I'm certainly not saying anything against that, uh, because uh, the hospice and things that they do uh, brings a great deal of help to people. But Jesus was suffering vicariously. Do you know what that means, vicariously? He was suffering in our place. We are the ones that deserved punishment. We are the ones that were, as it were, condemned to death. But uh, Jesus took our place. Uh, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for another. Jesus laid down his life for us, gave his life on the cross for our sins. And so he is our substitute. Uh, he died, he was buried, uh, he was uh, tested dead by the experts of that day. The Roman soldiers knew very well what death was. And when, when a, a person that they uh, executed or was in battle when they were dead, they knew very well all the signs of death. And, uh, of course, just to make sure, because not a bone of him was broken, according to Scripture. Uh, recall that as they came by to break the legs, they came to Jesus. He was dead already. And so... One Roman soldier took the spear and drove it up into his rib cage. And the scripture says that uh, John recorded that blood and water came out, uh, indicating that uh, Jesus died of a broken heart, is what medical experts tell us. Uh, so uh, he, was, he was dead, he was he was entombed, he was, he was buried, and, and then we know that he conquered the grave. 
that uh, he came forth alive just as he said he would in three days. Uh, he told them, uh, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rise it, raise it up. And remember they used that in the trial against him, that he said he was going to destroy the temple, that the gospel writer said he was talking about the temple of his body. And so he did take his life again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the scripture tells us that uh, he conquered that grave and he showed himself alive. Acts chapter 1 tells us he showed himself alive by many undeniable proofs, infallible proofs. Uh, over and over again, he appeared in different settings, not just in the dark shadows of, of a, a room, but out in the open, not just by one or two people or 11 people, but uh, at one point with 500 witnessing him there in his ministry territory of Galilee. Uh, they met there and saw him as he was on a mountain there. And so uh, the Jesus event then uh, went on for 40 days, showed himself alive and uh, was in gave the invitation for anybody that wanted to touch him. Uh, they could touch him, uh, ate with them, didn't he? Uh, you can see I'm, I'm not a phantom, I'm real, but he had a spiritual body. We don't understand all the implications of that. What does having a spiritual body mean? Uh, he wasn't animated by blood. Uh, he, could, he could go through... Uh, closed doors into a room <coughs> are, are, are our bodies going to be like that after we're raised again we don't know exactly what we're going to be like but we know that we'll be like him the scripture says or we're going to see him as he is and so uh, the scripture says then that uh, after 40 days uh, he was with his disciples out at the Mount of Olives and <coughs> gave them final commandments. And those commandments were, wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. That's in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And so he said, wait. And so, while he spoke to them, giving them final commands, he was parted from them. He was taken up. It's spoken that way. We call it the ascension of Christ, where he was taken up from the earth, and the cloud received him out of their sight. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't a meteorology meteorology, I can't say it, it wasn't due to weather, there wasn't, it wasn't a storm coming, there wasn't, it wasn't a rain cloud, Jim, that's what I'm trying to say, so 
a cloud received him, but uh, the Bible talks about clouds that were uh, part of the presence of God. A uh, cloud came down on Mount Sinai and so forth. The Israelites were led in the daytime with, with a cloud, pillar of fire by night, and a cloud by daytime, because they could see a cloud in the daytime, but at nighttime it was a pillar of fire that led them through the wilderness. So this, we believe, was a glory cloud then. It was part of the presence of God that received Jesus out of their sight. So a great deal there to rejoice about. And uh, so they're, they're told to uh, wait uh, for the promise of the Father. Uh, he said uh, in verse 8, uh, you're going to be witnesses of me. Uh, and so they went back to Jerusalem. Verse 12 in chapter 1 says they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet what we would call the Mount of Olives, and it was like a half a mile that they journeyed to get back to the upper room back in Jerusalem. And uh, so they did what Jesus said. Uh, they stayed and they prayed. And what do you think happened in that upper room while they were... The Bible says... Uh, that when they went in this upper room, uh, that uh, it names the ones that are there. There's 120 of them there in this upper room. Um, and, of course, we don't know because that's all been destroyed. They have places now that they say is akin to that. But uh, we don't know exactly what that means uh, when they when they rebuilt, and uh, so we don't know exactly the location, that's what I'm saying, of the upper room, except it was in Jerusalem. And so the Bible tells us uh, that they got things fixed up with each other. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 tells us that they were all with one accord, uh, they were in one place, they were together, and they were waiting. Now, if nothing took place, how long would these followers of Jesus, these 120, how long would they have remained in this location? Uh, I don't know. I assume that uh, they had means for food and so forth. I don't think they had DoorDash. Uh, bringing stuff. Uh, I don't think it was uh, any of the food trucks that run around up and down my road today uh, delivering stuff from Walmart and wherever. Um, but uh, there, were, there, were, there was accessibility to food. But if, if the food kept coming and uh, they stayed there, uh, how long would they have stayed if nothing happened? Eventually, uh, the meeting would have broken up, wouldn't it? And uh, they would have gone back to whatever they were doing, whatever they could do, 
disillusioned, wondering why nothing happened and wondering what Jesus was talking about. But something did happen. Uh, Jesus gave them command, and when Jesus gives command, he follows through with action. And so uh, the Bible tells us that while they were waiting there, uh, they were in one accord. Uh, and you know the corny joke about that, uh, that it wasn't a Honda. Uh, so uh, they were in agreement. They were in agreement with each other. Uh, that wasn't always the situation. Uh, there, was, there was friction. Remember, uh, Luke 9 tells us that uh, they, had, uh, they had a problem uh, because they were in an argument in Luke 9, 46 and verses surrounding there about who would be the greatest. Uh, remember the hard feelings they had the rest of the apostles toward James and John because mommy came and wanted them to have places of leadership, one on your right and one on your left, Jesus. Uh, we want, we want uh, she said, I want my sons to have places of leadership and want you, to, want you to agree with that. And Jesus would not agree to that. But the others that heard it, they saw mommy come and uh, they saw what was trying to be done here with James and John. And so there was no doubt hard feelings. They murmured about it and uh, they remembered that James and John are trying to take leadership. How about, how about uh, some of uh, Peter's mess ups? Uh, you would remember that. Remember, Peter, you said you weren't going to deny him, and, and look what you did. I think all these things probably came out when they were in the upper room, that uh, there, were, there were some apologies that were made. Uh, were these people Christians? You know, uh, some, there's some debate sometimes. People say, well, what happened on the day of Pentecost? Uh, did, did they get saved on the day of Pentecost? Well, it would be hard to believe that they weren't Christians, at least in an interim respect, because Jesus sent them to cast out devils and preach the gospel, didn't he? Uh, so we don't, we don't believe that Jesus would have done that were they not in right relationship with him, even though they had their problems uh, that uh, they were at least on the right path, on the right road. So uh, what, what did happen? Well, it is what John the Baptist talked about. John said, there's one coming after me. I'm not worthy to unloose his shoes. Uh, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the disciples had been water baptized uh, they, had, they had been following Jesus. In fact, they were baptizing other people, weren't they? Because the Bible tells us that when there was accusation made uh, that Jesus was not doing the baptizing, his disciples were doing the baptizing. So uh, what exactly then 
it's hard to pin down. You know, if you try to get explicit and say things the Bible doesn't say, but we do know from what the disciples did, they were true followers of Jesus except for Judas. And Judas, by transgression, fell. Now, some people say Judas was never a true follower of Jesus. And that, that suits a certain doctrine that I won't go into. But I don't know how you fall if you're not up somewhere. Uh, I can't fall off a ladder unless I'm on the ladder. So it's kind of hard for me to understand that, but that's, that's what some say. Uh, and so the scripture tells us that these others were followers, true followers of Jesus. And we know that they, they got back on board after Peter had denied the Lord. Jesus said, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. So uh, he was also called uh, to feed the lambs and feed the sheep. So a lot of fixing up must have been done in the upper room. Uh, if we want... If we want God's presence and God bless, God's blessing in our lives, uh, we have to be current, folks. We have to be current in our relationship with the Lord and with people round about us. Uh, you, can't, you can't do things that are wrong and, then, and sweep it under the rug, as it were, and say, you know, it, it'll be okay. Uh, I'll just go on. Uh, there has to be some, there has to be some fixing up. Sometimes you can't fix things up because death comes to people that you've wronged. Uh, but you can't just, you know, a lot of people look at the church and they think about this one that did this or did that, and they never made it right. Uh, if if we've done things that are wrong, we ought to make them right. We ought to apologize and. If we've, if we've lost our temper, said things that we shouldn't say, we ought to ask forgiveness and ask people uh, to please uh, forgive us and that we intend to do better. So I believe there was a lot of fixing up that was done in the, in the upper room while they were there. You notice that Mary was there too, if you read the list of people. Um, Mary... Uh, who was considered by one denomination or one group of religious group to be immaculate, sinless. Uh, she didn't think she was sinless, did she? She was there in the upper room. And so the scripture says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, what was this Pentecost? Well, it was a Jewish feast. That's what Pentecost is. It was, it was the bringing in of the first of the wheat harvest. And so it came the same time every year after Passover. Now, I, I don't mean it because Passover varied according to the moon and so forth. So, but it was this Pentecost from Passover was 50 days. And that's what the, the penta means, you recognize penta, uh, pentagram, pentagon. Uh, so it stood for 50. It stood for 50. It was 50 days. So Jesus, Jesus made his appearances for 40 days, 
And then he went back to be with the Father. And then on the day of Pentecost, which is the 50th day, so we say Jesus showed himself for 10 days, uh, or rather 40 days, and then he went to heaven, was there in absence from them for 10 days. I got, I'm back on track again, right? I didn't mess it up. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate you following me. Uh, so, uh, so they're in the upper room for 10 days approximately. And, it, and this God has it all timed because the day of Pentecost, this is 50 days all these people are in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, according to estimates, when it swelled with feast days, um, could have had hundreds of thousands. As I recall, they say two or three million. And I don't understand those narrow streets and all. It would have been packed. Uh, but uh, they, were, they were there for this special time, this feast, and they came from all these different countries, all these different places. Uh, the countries they came from, actually, there were people there from three continents. You don't read that in your Bible, but scholars say there were people there from three continents. People there from Asia, people there from Europe, people there from Africa. And and all these names then, remember this is a Roman world. So these people would understand Greek most likely. They would all understand Greek. And many of them would know Aramaic, which was the language that the Hebrews used. Uh, many of them would know those languages. So we, we have, though, people from all these different areas that have different dialects. Uh, they, they speak in, in a different uh, language than the Greek. And when they were in Jerusalem, yeah, they would probably use Aramaic because that was the language of the Hebrew people at that time. Uh, the official probably... Uh, worship language uh, would have been more toward the Hebrew. But at, at any rate, back to what I know a little more about, Aramaic. And uh, so uh, they could have been spoken to using the Greek language, and everybody would have, would have heard that and understood that. But God didn't do that. When, when the Holy Spirit came... God enabled these people to speak in the dialect of each of these different people groups. Why did God do that? Remember back in the remember back in the book of Genesis that the Bible says uh, that as the people were going to build a tower, verse four in chapter eleven of Genesis. Let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord's plan was for them to be scattered, 
to go to different parts of the earth. And the scripture says, uh, I, will, I will behold the people as one. They have all one language. And uh, in verse 7, go, da- go to, let us go down and there confound their language. Confuse their language. They may not understand one another's speech. And so God sent confusion among them. Verse 9 says, therefore is the name of it called Babel. Uh, You have the language instruction course now that's called Babel, don't you? Uh, But it was called Babel. So here God was doing a reverse of what he did in Babel. He was was giving them the gospel in their own dialect, in their own language, in their own regional language. So yeah, they could have spoke, they could have spoken in Greek, but God allowed them to speak in their dialect of and how many of these? 120? that could speak in the dialect of all these different locations. So Parthians, Medes, Elamite, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, and Pontus in Asia, all these different locations. So they came, they were there for this feast. They had belief in the true God and they were coming to a feast at Jerusalem. So God did a miracle by allowing them to hear the gospel, hear God praised. It appears it was more praise at the beginning than preaching the gospel for the wonderful works of God. What God had done, what had God done? God had raised Christ back to life. God was at work. God was fulfilling his promises Praise be to God for all his goodness and all the wonders that he has performed. Uh, When Peter stood up, then Peter began to preach the gospel to them. And once again, we don't know how all this worked out, except we know that at this one time, they all heard their own language by these people that should not have known their language. The Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in the language of each of these people groups. And so the Bible tells us that they were marveling at what was done. So there's not a whole lot told us about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's enough told us that we understand uh, when, when the... When this day of Pentecost, this 50th day, was there, uh, there came a sound from heaven, verse 2 of chapter 2, as of a rushing mighty wind. So was was it a mighty rushing wind? It doesn't say that. It says it was a sound. Uh, Have you been in a hurricane? Have you been in a tornado? Um... There, people tell you there is a loud sound like a train coming through. Uh, it is a loud sound. So it, this wasn't, this doesn't say here that they had to hold on to their hats 
uh, and that all this wind came up suddenly. It says the sound, the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. This, this was a consuming sound. And then they had, they had the, 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 the sight of split tongues of fire set upon each of them. These were all God things. A mighty wind, the sound of a mighty wind would be a God thing. <coughs> the fire, God often showed his presence with fire. And, uh, and then the, the main thing is not the fact of the wind or the tongues, but the fourth verse is the main thing. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And so God brought to pass what he had promised in the Old Testament. And Peter talks about that, about in verse 17, the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So this was God bringing the Holy Spirit into the, into the early church and empowering them and purifying their hearts. Um, sometimes we get carried away with the sights and sounds and, and miss, the, miss the real emphasis of they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We need that filling of the Holy Spirit, folks. We need that filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in their lives on a continual basis. In the Old Testament, you could see where the Spirit of God came on people for specific tests, for specific endeavors. <clears throat> but here the Holy Spirit came to dwell. That's what Jesus promised in the book of John. He said <clears throat> that he's going to abide with you. He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I am going to come to you. And so he came to abide. And the Holy Spirit is the presence of Christ with us. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the scripture tells us that when the Holy Spirit come, that it is Jesus abiding with us. And it is Christ in us. It is Christ in us. So it's perfectly right to say that Jesus is in our heart because the Bible talks about that. It talks about Christ coming into our heart, into our lives. How can he do that? As Jesus the man, he couldn't. But as the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, he could come in. And it's the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God. And both of those are legitimate terms uh, because God is one. <coughs> and so they were empowered then. Uh, God, was, God did something for them uh, that if you read that and you don't look over a little further in Acts chapter 15... Peter talks about what happened in Acts 15. 
he says something was taking place inside of them. It wasn't, it wasn't the fire on them. It wasn't the sound of the wind. It was the Holy Spirit coming into them. So when Peter had later looked back on this, when he was talking about what happened to another people group, in Acts chapter 15, verse 7, Peter is testifying before the early church. There was, there was an issue that needed to be settled. And so Peter, now a man of stature and a man who has proven himself to be faithful at this point, it says, when there had been much disputing, Wow, that sounds like a council session, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, much disputing. Uh, and it doesn't mean they were fighting. It means there were different points of view that were being brought out. And Peter is going to settle this. Uh, Peter is going to say what happened when he was at Pentecost. And of course, he was the speaker at Pentecost. But... Uh, as well as others, but he has the main address. We have his words recorded. So Peter says this, When there had been much dis disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, that would be Cornelius, by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying their hearts by faith. Well, if they were Christians, were they being forgiven? Were they being forgiven? Uh, they already fixed everything up in the upper room, didn't they? They had everything right. They, they were getting along with each other. They, they were in one, one accord. They were in agreement. They were in a, they, everything was okay. So what does it mean purifying their hearts by faith? Well, when you talk about purifying something, you're taking out something that's a stain, something that's a blemish. You're not talking about forgiveness now. You're talking about another issue. You can be forgiven for sin, but if you're talking about purification, that's not something that can be forgiven. That's something that has to be cleansed out. And so... God purified their hearts by faith. Their trust in God and believing God. And God, by the Holy Spirit, purifies their hearts. Um, David, uh, David talked about sin that was in him when he was born. He was born. In iniquity, he had he had sin. Psalm fifty-one, the stain of sin was already in him. What 
why do we go astray? It's because of the old sin nature, isn't it? The old carnal mind is a more accurate way of saying it, probably. Um, what, what do we talk about uh, the fleshly mind? The fleshly mind. Uh, what is the fleshly mind? Uh, the fleshly mind is the selfish mind. It's to say, I don't care what the rest of them want. This is what I want. It's going to be my way. <laughs> uh, that's what splits churches sometimes. Uh, it's the carnal mind. And uh, when you think about the carnal mind, uh, Paul had a problem with various churches that had difficulties and and dealt with things that were indeed uh, divisive. Uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, and I'm not going to be very long with this. I'm giving you this pretty quick. Uh, Paul said in verse 2 of chapter 3 to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Uh, what does milk indicate? Uh, that that uh, they couldn't handle anything more. You know, sometimes when I've been in churches, I've been like walking on egg eggshells. Uh, don't want to don't want to do anything to upset anybody. Just keep everything calm and everything everybody happy as you can. Uh, you know, and if you if if one of the babies cries, you have some milk for them real quick and try to settle them down, keep everything calm. He said, I fed you with milk. In verse 3, he says, for you are yet carnal. Nelson Perdue brings out when he says you are yet carnal that they didn't have to remain carnal. They didn't have to remain carnal. They didn't have to continue with their selfish and their, their fleshly ways, their human ways of grasping and saying, I'll have it my way. And that's what Adam did back in the garden. He went against God's law and went his way, didn't he? And that is the beginning of what we call the carnal mind. So the scripture tells us that that carnal mind can be dealt with, Paul says, you are yet carnal. And so here's how the Corinthians were doing it. Because there's among you envying, strife, divisions. You walk as men. You don't walk as spiritual people. You're selfish. You want your own way. And one is saying, oh, I'm following Paul. And another says, I'm following Apollos. Uh, and then some of them said, uh, well, I'm, I'm following Christ. Uh, I'm, I'm better than you all because I'm following Christ. So it's the carnal mind having it your way. How about temper tantrums in adults? It is something that happens. Dr. Hermes Thomas Hermes, 
our former general superintendent, said that uh, he was pastor of a church and that there was a woman that liked to shout. She'd get happy and shout. Shout praise to God. And you know our denomination is fine with that, to praise God. I, mean, some, I remember when Marion Tipton, Dan Tipton's father, used to shout at North Church. <clears throat> I'd just be settling down a little bit as a young person, and then Marion would light up. And it'd scare the fire out of me. Uh, he might be right behind me, and you'd hear this shrill shouting. He had a higher voice. You remember, sister? Uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes things would get a little rowdy at North Church. It was a, it was a big church, but they got a little rowdy. Uh, they could run 500 in Sunday school, but uh, they still shouted the praise of God. Well... This woman liked to shout, and uh, one day uh, Dr. Hermes was out doing some calls, and he decided to stop by uh, this woman's house, and uh, he heard a large, loud commotion inside, and uh, he, he said it. he wondered what was going on. He said the closer he got, the more he, re he realized she wasn't shouting the praises of God. She was having a temper tantrum. And somebody got on the bad side of her, and she was using some words that she shouldn't use. And Dr. Hermes said he thought, you know, maybe I ought to just sneak away. <laughs> I'd not let her know I was here. He said, he thought about it again. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go ahead and knock on this door and let her know I'm here. And he knocked and she came to the door all blowed up. And she saw him. It was like the air all went out of her. Oh, Dr. Hermes. <laughs> So, he said that uh, some of the family said to him, you wonder why we're not in church. That's why we're not in church. Because mom gets mad. Mom throws temper tantrums. And uh, I'm not going to go in some of my experiences with people that have thrown temper tantrums, but you know, they can, they can be pretty unkind. They can be downright rude and vicious. And so Dr. Hermes said that uh, she was all sorry and for what she had done and so forth. <clears throat> they were back in church again. <clears throat> Dr. Hermes said that he would look back there and she, was, she would maybe be getting ready to shout. He'd kind of look at her. <laughs> You're not going to shout, are you? Well, then uh, they had an altar service. She got things fixed up, and I think, I think she got 
If I remember right, she was sanctified holy then. Asked the Lord to sanctify her by the power of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse that carnal mind out of her. And uh, he said, uh, he said then after she got things right and and was sanctified holy, uh, she would kind of look like she would wanted to shout, wanted to praise the Lord, and he'd kind of give her a nod. It's okay. <laughs> It's okay, and I guess she was instrumental in getting some people that were around her. Family was still a hard issue because she had offended them greatly. But yeah, people people can have temper tantrums after they're saved and do a lot of damage. But God can take care of evil temper. Everybody have ought to have a little temper, shouldn't they? Metal without any temper in it. It's pretty easily bent. It's got some temper, got some strength. I'm not saying evil temper, but it's okay to have have a strong will and stand for things that are right. We ought to get angry against evil, shouldn't we? What the devil's doing, we ought to be angry about that. But God can deal with divisions, with selfishness, that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you think God did that at Pentecost? Well, that's what Peter says. Our hearts were purified. So it's talking about what happened back there that put that nature or that mind in us, that selfish mind. And so I, I, I like this illustration because when you're saved... It's like cutting the tree of sin down. You cut it down. It's, it's down. It's gone. Praise God, we're forgiven. Well, what happens? You've got the roots of sin still in you. Yeah, you're forgiven, but the thing that made you sin is still there. Now, you never get to a point Whatever God does that you can't commit sin. Adam did not have a carnal mind to start with, did he? But he sinned. So we can sin whether we have that carnal mind or not. So if we're, if we're cleansed of that, it doesn't mean we can't go back on God or sin. We can. But God can cleanse that and set, and set us on the right path. But the Bible talks about a root of bitterness springing up in us and defile many. A lot of people have a lot of roots, and you know when you have those roots on some trees, they, they keep springing up, don't they? Here and there, and you're mowing the grass, and, oh, there's another one of those, there's another one of those. What has to happen? You have to get the, you have to get the root out. You have to get the root out. And so that comes in entire sanctification. That comes in the filling of the Holy Spirit. Not forgiveness now. We're not, yeah, if you did things that are wrong, you need to be forgiven for that. But if you want the power not to go in the wrong direction, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I've got a, I've got a mulberry tree that grows up by one of my fence posts right on the edge of the neighbor's property. And I've cut that thing down two or three times and it just keeps coming back up from the root. 
It just keeps coming up. Well, what I'm going to do is kill the root. How am I going to kill the root? Well, it's not going to be with sanctification uh, because we're not talking about a spiritual thing. But I got some potassium nitrate and you can drill the root and pour the potassium nitrate in the holes you drill and let it stay in there for about six weeks and it starts deteriorating and then you can pour kerosene in it they say and light the kerosene up and it'll burn according to the what the Bible bottle says not the Bible the bottle says it will burn clear down into the roots now I haven't done that and and I don't know that I'm going to do that but it says this stuff will rot that so I'm after the I'm after the root I don't want to keep cutting that thing off well we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual lives we can let God take care of that stump or that root of sin and the and the things that sprout up that embarrass us we didn't know we were going to say that or do that God can take care of that God can help us how does he do that well when we talk about sanctification we're talking about a word that has a twofold meaning not a double meaning a twofold meaning one meaning is that you're set aside we call that consecration the other part of it is that you're cleansed and so when you're sanctified holy you have offered yourself as they did in the upper room as they waited and were obedient but you can't cleanse yourself that takes we're not talking about forgiveness now we're talking about cleansing that takes the power of the Holy Spirit and he can cleanse and he can take care of that inward defilement yes like I said you can still sin but it's not from the old root it's from a choice you make but it's wonderful to have victory um, you probably don't I, I know you don't know because you weren't around when I was growing up but I, I had a temper uh, at one point my brother and I got into it of course Keith usually won because uh, he was bigger <clears throat> but uh, I got a I got a piece of coal that had a sharp point on it out of the coal bucket there set in our in our living room that's how we heated our house and uh, and I was taking that and I was whamming him with that in the back and uh, the Lord said to me later if that was a knife you'd have been stabbing him because I was mad and he wasn't going to win and sometimes we do things like that when the old carnal comes out and people have done things they've split churches they've ruined lives uh, by letting the old carnal run loose yeah God can deal with that it takes consecration it takes asking the Holy Spirit in and you don't have to 
you don't have to know all this stuff. You have to have faith to go know that God will do it. God can cleanse. God can sanctify you wholly to the will of God. So that's my message this morning. How wonderful it is that Pentecost, that we have the coming of the Holy Spirit, the best friend we can ever have, folks. And Jesus said, I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. I'll be with you. Let's stand together this morning.